Uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you, David, for reading that for us. Keep the, your uh, scripture reading there open, and there's an outline you'll find in your handout as well, which you can follow along. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It's gold, and we want to mine, Lord, good things from your word this morning as we uh, hear it uh, spoken about. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts so that they may be receptive to your word and that we might grow by it and uh, live it out during the week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're starting a series from the book of Proverbs, just a short series during this holiday period, uh, just three. And Proverbs is actually simply wisdom for living life well. Proverbs is wisdom for living life well. And we all want to live life well, don't we? We do. We want our lives to be a success and to have meaning. Uh, and so I've just lost my, uh, my technology there. We want our lives to be a success and have meaning. And Proverbs teaches us that a successful life starts with the fear of the Lord. A successful life starts with the fear of the Lord. Right up front in chapter 1, if you've read Proverbs, you'll know that it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a principle that's actually repeated right through the book and it's telling us that we can't begin to function well as human beings unless we are rightly related to God. That's the first and key principle of a successful life. This is God's world. God made it, and if we're to live well and wisely in God's world, we need to know him. And here in chapter 4, then, we come to a second principle. We need to guard our hearts, to watch and protect your heart. Now, when the Bible talks about heart, it's not primarily talking about emotions. It's also talking about the mind and the will. Your heart is the centre of your being, uh, the biblical definition of heart is that it's the centre of your being. It's what drives and motivates you. And over and over again, the Bible tells us <clears throat> that God looks at the heart. He's actually more interested in what motivates you than what you actually do. He's more concerned with what's going on inside of your heart than what's happening outwardly in your behaviour. Because we can do all the right things, can't we? For all the wrong reasons. So let me ask you, what's happening inside of you? Who are you serving? What is your heart set on? Look at verse 23. It's the key verse there in this passage. Above all, guard your hearts for everything you do flows from it. Your heart drives your life. Everything that you do flows from what's in your heart. If your heart is not right, your life will not be right. That's why you need to guard it. So ask yourself, what is my heart set on? Who or what is on the throne of my life? Is it King Jesus who made me and gave me life? Is he on the throne of my life? Or is self on the throne? Am I a self-serving person? Charles III, our new king, has a throne now in the House of Lords, doesn't he? which he uses once per year 
once a year he puts on his royal robe and, he, uh, and his crown and he enters the parliament and he comes to sit on this throne to give his speech at the start of every session of parliament. And only the monarch is allowed to sit on that throne. Infrared beams guard against anyone else trying to do so. And yet that's exactly what we've done, isn't it? Who's sitting on the throne of your life? Is it the rightful ruler of your life? Is it King Jesus who made you for yourself, for himself? Or are you there? Have you climbed on the throne? What are you doing there? You don't belong there, do you? It's so important to guard your heart, to make sure it's set on the right things. Your life actually depends on it. If we want to live well and wisely in God's world, we need those two principles operating in our lives. We need to be rightly related to God and we need to guard our hearts. And Proverbs 4 tells us why this is so important. So let's have a look at the text. Firstly, it's important to guard your heart because your heart actually determines the direction of your life. Look at verse 14 and the direction of a wrong heart. Do not set, your, uh, set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and go on your own way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. That, that's actually the language of addiction, isn't it? People who are obsessed and, and driven. They can't sleep at night. Someone's gotten ahead of you at work. And someone's had more success of you than you. Someone's got more money than you. And you can't sleep. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking how you can, how you can might make them stumble. It drives you crazy. When it gets to that stage, it's very serious, isn't it? Do you want to go down that path? Do you want to be that sort of person, obsessed, driven, addicted, enslaved? That's what happens when your heart is set on the wrong things because it starts in the heart. And what your heart wants. What, what, for example, if your heart is set on money, what would happen? Money itself is not a bad thing. It's actually neutral. It's actually the love of money. It's setting your heart on it. That's when it becomes corrosive in your life, isn't it? Remember what Paul says to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3? There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money rather than lovers of God. People replace God with money. They have money in their hearts instead of God. If you set your heart on money, you're worshipping a thing. You're worshipping wealth. Do you see that? That's what gives you security and significance then, doesn't it? And it becomes an idol in your life. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And what happens to the direction of your life? In, instead of using money to serve God, you try to use God to get money. And you're tempted to think that God is a means to financial blessing. Instead of using your money to love others, you'll use others to try to make more money. Is that true for you? Think about your heart. Are you worshipping wealth? Has money become an idol in your heart? It's, we're so prone to it here in the West, aren't we? In our Western culture. Wealth is all around us. And it's actually true for anything you might set your heart on. It could be career. It could be marriage or sex or family. 
What you set your heart on will determine the direction your life takes. Can you see that? If your heart is set on marriage, for example, you can't imagine being happy unless you're married. And your whole life is taken up by that. And instead of seeking the saviour, you're looking for Mr. Right or Mrs. Mrs. Right. And what happens? You either become too picky and choose the wrong person or you become desperate and you pick someone, anyone who will marry you. But you won't find happiness that way. Only misery. Because your heart is set on the wrong thing. It affects and changes the whole course of your life. But now look at the direction of a right heart. Verse 11, I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight path. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. See, in the universe, there's God, people, and things. God is the creator. He made this awesome universe in which we live. And he made me, and he gave me life. And I'm meant to worship him and love people and use things. I'm meant to worship him, love people, and use things. That's the way of the wisdom. That's the best way to live life in God's world. And when you live life that way, your path will be straight, says the Proverbs. Your steps will not be hampered. You will not stumble as you run. Notice the word path, steps, run. It's describing life. Life is like a journey. And every day you're taking little steps through life, little choices, little attitudes, little decisions, little routines, and they make you who you are. And it's all determined in your heart. So who's on the throne of your heart? And Proverbs is saying, fear the Lord. Guard your heart. Don't let it wander to worship things. God must be on the throne of your life if you are to live wisely and well. And if God is on the throne of your heart, your path will be straight, says the Proverbs. You'll have a sense of purpose and direction in your life. You'll not be hampered or stumble. That's not saying you won't face any trouble, but there will be a consistency and a stability about your life. So what's in your heart? What is your heart set on? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he said himself, I'm the way, the truth, the life. William Cowper, the hymn writer, poet, wrote this in one of his hymns. Listen to these words. They're up on the screen, I think. The dearest idol I've known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. He understood that, didn't he? Perhaps you need to make these words your prayer today. Lord, my heart is set on an idol. Help me. I can't do it on my own. Help me to tear that idol from your throne and worship only you. The direction of your life depends on it. And a right heart, a heart that worships God, produces a life of faith, hope and love. A life of purpose and stability. Want to know what sort of life that is? Well, just look at the life of the Lord Jesus. He lived the best life any man ever lived. It's important to guard your heart because it determines the direction of your life. But even more scary, your heart also determines the ultimate destiny of your life. Every day, in all the little choices we make, 
we're going down one path or another. And all these little choices we make will one day determine where we end up. Look at verse 19 and the destiny of the wicked. Those who've set their hearts on all the wrong things. Verse 19, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Where does that path lead? The further you head down that particular path, the more uncertain and confused you become. And you see people, that in people's lives, don't you? They stumble and they don't know why. They think they've got their act together. They think they've thought it all through and planned it, out, out, and planned it all out and things go wrong and they don't know why. Confusion. And the reasons things go wrong and people stumble is because of what's going on in their hearts. And it ends. Where does it end? In deep darkness. How many godless people finish their lives in deep darkness? Friedrich, Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher, was born in 1844 and he grew up in a family of ministers, actually. His father was a minister. His mother's father and grandfather were both ministers. But Friedrich worshipped power. He dreamt of the development of a superhuman race, the rise of a daring ruling class, tough, masculine, oppressive... And at the same time, Friedrich hated the Christian faith. It was a myth dreamed up by the disciples. He despised all Christians. To him, Jesus was a weakling, a failure, who died a shameful death on a cross. For Nietzsche, God was dead, Jesus was a fool, and the churches were the tombs of God. And at age 44, he became insane. His sister, who lived by his philosophy charged people to come into their home to see him in his insanity. That is deep darkness, isn't it? Bertrand Russell, the atheist, said this at the end of his life, there is darkness without and when I die there will be darkness within. There is no splendour or vastness anywhere, only triviality for a moment and then nothing. That's deep darkness, isn't it? That's the path of the godless. And we see that confusion and that darkness around us everywhere as the biblical faith and values are rejected in our culture. And people follow, blindly follow all their desires rather than guard their hearts. And fear and anxiety and confusion and despair are now dominant features of our culture, aren't they? Especially for many young people. But now look at the destiny of the righteous. Those who have the Lord in their hearts, who cling to him. Verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. What a contrast. The path of the wicked is increasingly confused and leads to deep darkness. The path of the righteous becomes increasingly clear. And the further you travel in life, the more sense your life will make. C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in God the same way I believe in the sun. Not only because I see it, but by it I see everything else. That's the path of righteousness. When you go down that path, you not only see God by, through faith, by faith, but by him you see everything else and life becomes clearer. It's like the first gleam of dawn. It's wonderful, isn't it? Getting up early and, and seeing the sun come up, it's a beautiful thing. And as it rises in the sky, you see things clearer and clearer until you stand in glorious light. So let me ask you, where are you headed? What path is your heart set on? What will be your final destiny? Listen to C.S. Lewis again. 
It's a serious thing to realise that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degrees, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. See how serious this is? Let me ask you again, where are you headed? What direction is your life taking? Where is it going to end for you, in deep darkness or in glorious light? That's why the writer says in verse 23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Whatever else you do, do this well, protect your heart, guard your heart. Life and death, heaven and hell hang on this. And that leads me, of course, to the obvious question. How do we guard our hearts? How do we get a rightly motivated heart? The text tells us and points to two things. First, you need to get the gospel into your heart, don't you? You need to get the gospel into your heart. Look at verse 10. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I'll instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. Verse 13, hold on to instruction, do not let it go, guard it well, for it is your life. How do you guard your heart? So it's not a diseased heart, so it's not a poisoned heart. Well, he says, accept what I say, hold on to instruction. Verse 20, pay attention to my words. There's a connection between God's word and a healthy heart. You see, your heart will only function properly. You will only have a healthy heart if God's word shines into it, when the light of the gospel shines into it. It's more than just hearing the words, isn't it? Remember what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. He tells us why people sit under the preaching that is clear and powerful and yet are totally unaffected. Listen to what he says. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I wonder if you've had a moment like that. When the God of this universe, who at the very beginning of time said, let there be light, and there was, spoke to your heart with the message of the gospel, let there be light, has that happened to you? Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, I live as if Christ died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. That's a man who's had the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus shine in his heart. Does that describe you? Has Christ come into your heart like that? Does his reality, his glory, his sacrifice for you, his coming again, press on your life like that? Have you ever prayed, Lord, my heart is messed up. It's filled with idols. I worship instead of you. And it needs to be cleaned out. Come into my heart and take control of my life. Remember what Jesus said in, in John 7:38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. That's a wonderful promise for you. 
your heart no longer a stagnant pool breeding reptiles. It'll be a river overflowing to others, blessing family, friends and neighbours. How is it possible? Because Jesus went into deep darkness, didn't he? On the cross of Calvary, paying the penalty for our sin, utterly forsaken by God so that we might be fully accepted by God. And once you understand that, and once you own that, it'll make you a new person with a new heart, won't it? It'll set you on the path of life. It'll settle the destination of your life. How do you guard your heart? Well, you need to get, first of all, the gospel into your heart. And secondly, once that happens, and we become Christians, we need to walk in step with the Spirit, don't we? That's what Paul says to the Galatian Christians. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the encouragement in these last few verses there. Verse 24, keep your mouth free from perversity. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Give careful thought. Verse 26, to the paths for your feet. Verse 27, do not turn to the right or the left. Once your heart is right, you can live right because the Spirit of God now lives in you. And he wants to lead you in your life. And he fills you with wisdom as you read his word. He guides you through life, reminding you of the cross of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that was won there for you, prompting you to do good and warning you against setting your heart on idols. And as you keep in step with the Spirit of God, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, blessings. You'll be a person of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness and self-control. And your life will begin to reflect the glorious life of your Saviour and Lord. So let me finish. Has Jesus come into your heart? Thomas Chalmers, a 19th century Scottish minister, once wrote a sermon titled, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And he said, this is what he said, The only way to get your heart off an old affection, you know, the idols we so easily serve is to set it on a greater affection. To have Jesus come into your heart. Someone so much greater than ourselves and any of the idols we serve. To get our hearts to stop idolising money and marriage, a career, family, whatever it is, children, sports, shopping. It's only when Jesus is first Will you be able to make wise decisions about those things? Money, marriage, career, children, family, sports and shopping. Set your hearts on him. Let him fill your heart with his wisdom so that you can live wisely and well. And then our lives will be like the first gleam of dawn, won't they? Shining ever brighter till the full light of day. So here's a question for us to ponder over morning tea. John Calvin once said that the human heart is a factory of idols. We're continually manufacturing idols, things that we want to worship. So let's think about this. What idol is my heart tempted to be set on? And what can I do to ensure that those idols don't take over my life? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your precious word. Help us to be reading it regularly and to soaking in your perfect advice for our lives. We know, Lord, that our hearts often lead us astray. Forgive us and help us turn from the idols our hearts are so easily set on. Help us 
to love you most of all. That it be so taken by your love and grace and glory that we will see all idols for what they are, things that just enslave us. And help us to encourage and disciple each other to put you first. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.